pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? out of what's going on in the world today, then you come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis, T.S. Bennett, and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917 889 Three six seven five. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is common sense. Welcome back to another adventure here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, and now up on yournews.com. You're listening to Southern Sense Live. I'm your hostess with the least most sister, Radio Chickadee Annie, along with my co-host Curtis C.S. Bennett. Fingers crossed, no audio problem today. Welcome, Curtis. Hey, can you hear me? Oh, we got you. We got you loud and clear. All right. Oh, man. We we got ourselves a jam-up show today. There is so much to talk about, and we're going to have a lot of fun doing that today because our guest are, is Mark Papscott from the Epoch Times, or as I say, the Epic Times, which drives them nuts, and our friend from the Heritage <laughs> Foundation, the one, the only, Hans von Spakovsky. So we got ourselves a great, great show lined up. And like I said, there is so much to talk about from um, the Trump trials, uh, to the Supreme Court, to immigration, and to, oh, the latest thing on Biden. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you just can't make some of this stuff up. We have, like I said, it, we're, we're chock full of stuff to talk about today. Uh, yeah. We're going to have a lot I, of fun, I'll tell you that. I just love the way he tries to um, differentiate um, his handling of classified material compared to um, Trump, you know, as though, you know, there's there's something about the way he did it where it's not as bad as what Trump did. It's crazy. No, oh, it is. It is absolutely insane. And the funniest part is, is that he's been retaining classified documents since the 1970s. And he's never been prosecuted for it. 
Uh, he's never been even under investigation for it, but since the 1970s. And now he's a doddering old fool and president of the United States, unfortunately, and he gets a free ride. Meanwhile, how many charges do they have on Trump for his handling of classified information? Uh, and, and the thing about it for is, me, but not for thee. The thing about it is, Trump was president. He's the top of the food chain when it comes to classified information. When Biden had it, he was vice president and under Obama, and he didn't have that authority. Mm. You don't hear about uh, it's, that. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. And uh, something else we're going to be talking to Mark about is Peter Navarro. The judge has ordered him to prison while he's under appeal. That is unheard of. That is absolutely unheard of and quite a precedent that a man who has an appeal for a four-month sentence, he's appealing a four-month sentence and conviction. By the time they get through the appeal, far more than four months would, would have elapsed, and he would have been serving time far more than what he was sentenced to. Is that justice? We're going to ask Mark about that, and we'll ask our listeners to chime in. But, boy, like I said, we have a heck of a lot to talk about. All right. We're going to go move forward, and those that listen to the show know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And just a word, you know, to aside, I've been talking about changing the format and doing different things to the show to try to make it more professional looking. And we're still working on the video portion of that. Uh, if I have five minutes <laughs> to finally uh, become professed in the uh, new, uh, new new program that we'd be using. Um, but we're getting a little bit more popular than I thought. And uh, we just got picked up by yournews.com. Uh, you should really check it out at Your News. It's a bunch of freelance journalists that post articles. And it could be something local, like in your backyard, your neighborhood. It could be something statewide, national, or international. You never know what they're going to post. But if you put in, when you sign up, it's free. You sign up. You put in your zip code, and it will tailor the news to your zip code. Or you can choose to turn around and hit the drop-down menus and look at the other articles. And it could be anywhere from food to entertainment to politics. You never know. And they cover everything, the whole gamut. And then they have people like us that are podcasters or broadcasters of various types. And then you can go to that TV, to the video on there, and watch our lovely shows. So we're going to be up there on your news also. It's a great, great site. And I'm telling you, Curtis, this is the future of new media. Everyone's getting away from regular TV. Everyone is now doing smart devices. People are cutting their cable lines like crazy. You're seeing Disney taking a huge hit. Hulu, which is part of Disney, is now taking a large hit. Uh, These subscription services are starting to go to the wayside. Why pay for a yearly subscription and be stuck with cables or satellite dishes um, when you can go through your smart device and watch anything you want for free? And why pay for ESPN Plus when you can go onto either Amazon or YouTube and watch the game for free? And this is the new future. So, you know, check out your news because I think this is where we're going to be going. I had thought about going to um radio platform, I was offered a chance to go out of Atlanta, uh, which is a huge, huge market here in this area. 
And I'm second thinking that because YouTube can do the same thing without me having to pay. So, um, like I said, Curtis, this is this is the new media, and I like the way they're going. So, oh yeah, and, check it out. And not only Plus, that, you, you can also there's a lot of newspapers. Oh, I'm sorry. There's a lot of yeah. newspapers that well, are failing too. Nobody's reading newspapers no more. The latest one was uh, Sports Illustrated. I mean, the cornerstone of the sports world, Sports Illustrated. I bet it's only been around since 1954, but it was the prime sports magazine and source of articles for the longest time until they decided to go woke. But go woke, go broke. <laughs> anyway, wow. like I said, this is this is the new the new way in which media is going to be handled in all areas, and. Uh, I'm, I'm sticking with this guy, sticking with new, new, your news for now. Anyway, those that listen to the show know that we start off each and every one with a dedication to Fallen Hero. And today's dedication is going to go out to, to Police Officer Kevin M. Cram of the Algona Police Department in Iowa. His end of watch was Wednesday, September 13th of 2023. And let me get the uh, papers together. And this is from the Officer Down Memorial page, which you can find at odmp.org. And it reads, Police Officer Kevin Cram was shot and killed while attempting to arrest a man with an active arrest warrant for harassment. At 7.53 p.m. on September 13th, Officer Cram located the subject at the 1100 block of South Minnesota Street in Algona. When, when Officer Cram notified the man he was being placed under arrest, the man, the subject, shot him and fled. Officer Cram was transported to Regional Health Center where he was pronounced dead. The subject was arrested in Minnesota and charged with first-degree murder. Officer Cram had served with the Algona Police Department for eight years and previously served with the Norris Springs Police Department for two years. He is survived by his wife, two sons, a stepson, father, mother, and two brothers. And this is from the Des Moines Register. And they write, Graham's flagged draped casket was at center stage for the funeral held at the school's gymnasium as friends and colleagues remembered him as a dedicated father and family man. Among them was Algona Police Chief Bo Miller, who told mourners that Cram was kind and compassionate, someone who took great pride in his work. Algona lost a great man, Miller told reporters in a statement before the, the service began. Kevin loved his family, and he served the citizens of Algona with integrity, honor, and loyalty. Every law enforcement should strive to meet Kevin's example. We at the Algona Police Department will continue to strive to meet Kevin's example for the citizens of Algona. Deacon David Penton of Divine Mercy Catholic Parish in Algona said Cram was not quick-tempered and loved the people he served. For the years that I've known the Cram family, especially Kevin, I have known him to be many things, Penton said, an officer, a husband, a father, a son, a fisherman, a hunter, and on and on. But looking at 
back at Kevin's short life, I find him to be a Christian in all ways. He lived this by example in all he did. Pastor Lisa Kyle prayed for Cram and the assembled mourners. Hold this family, his friends and his fellow officers in your arms as you hold Kevin. Breathe into them your peace, Kyle said. We are so grateful for all that Kevin offered and for the time that Kevin walked with us, even as we long for him more. Some mourners who attended the service wore T-shirts with the phrase, Back the Blue, while others pinned thin blue ribbons on their attire. Miller was among the law enforcement officials wearing a white carnation with a bright red dot, a custom honored a custom used to honor fallen hero officers. The white symbols of good life and career, while the red serves as a reminder of the blood Graham shed for his community while in the line of duty. Trees surrounding the school's parking lot were tied with blue ribbons, and dozens of American flags were lined up on the ground. A handful of homes nearby had thin blue line flags draped across their front doors, or small blue porch lights. Lifelong Algana residents Rick Weissschieger and Jamie Totten were among the many who showed support for Cram family. Standing next to the school's parking lot as they waited for the procession to the internment site in Corwood, they said they knew the Cram family. Weissschieger, 67, had worked with Cram's grandfather at a local scrap metal dealer, while Totten, 43, said Cram mentored her son, who is currently a reserve officer for the Algana Police Department. Cram was a good officer, they said. He wasn't arrogant, and he was always willing to help. They echoed Carl, who said during the service that, this past week we have found ourselves in a place of disorientation. A world that gives us a sense of order and reliability has been shaken. It's not supposed to happen here, Totten said of Algana, the population of about 5,300. We know everybody. It's Iowa nice in this town. Things like this don't happen here. But Weishir said he experienced a similar tragedy when his daughter-in-law, Jessica, was fatally shot in 2019 during a robbery attempt at a bank in Luverne, a city southeast of Algana. It was just terrible that it would happen in a small town. But small towns don't mean nothing, he said. Things happen. Graham's death, anniversary of the slaying in the line of duty of another small town Iowa police officer, Jamie Buting of Rockwell City. After Graham's service, a line of vehicles proceeded along East McGregor Street, escorting his body. Eve Block and her daughter Angel were among the residents lining the street, holding up homemade posters. Theirs featured a photo of Cram. Angel Blocks also bore the words, honest, fearless, and selfless. The Blocks said there was a special place in their hearts for Cram. Eve Block said Cram was an advocate for children with autism and supported her daughter while she was in high school. Angel Block, now 24, recalled how she and Cram spent time together. They go out for coffee. They both loved Carmel lattes, she said. 
and he'd ask her about her life. Angel Block said she'd talk his ear off for about her five cats, two of them emotional support animals. The Blocks said they're still upset and grappling with Graham's death. He was a beacon of light, Eve Block said. After the police chief referring to Cram's life, Laura told the mourners at the funeral, I keep wanting to tell her family, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry over and over again, hoping that I can change something. But realized, but I realized what I need to say is thank you. It was one of the most emotional moments in an emotional day as the dispatcher's voice rang out. Hundreds who gathered at the Algonic Community School listened as she called a final time for a response from Officer Kevin Graham. 5518, checking code 4, she repeated three times and then announced, there is no answer for 5518. Her voice breaking, she continued, halting occasionally as the sorrow flowed from the room. Algon police officer Kevin Graham went 42 for the last time on September 13, 2023. Officer Graham, your brothers and sisters in law enforcement will forever watch over your family. Please rest in peace. Today's show is dedicated to Officer Cram. It's also dedicated to all the brave men and women that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. It is also dedicated to the brave men and women that serve in our military. From the birth of this great nation through today, and into our hopeful future. We dedicate to all of them this song by Tiffany, Soul of a Nation. May God bless each and every one.
Sense. You can find us online at Southern Sense, as in common sense, at southernsense.net. Or you can go to the old website, still at southern-sense.com. It'll take you to the same great place, our website. And welcome back. I'm your hostess with the least Moses, the radio ticket, D. Annie, along with my co-host. <laughs> Excuse me. That's not his name. It's not called Cook. <laughs> it's Curtis. He has said it. Uh, yeah. You you, I'm the one under the weather. Hide, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Looks like she's catching oh, it. <laughs> you gave me the cold over the radio. <laughs> I'm telling you, over the radio, a virus. Oh, man. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty cool how you got to do that. Oh, man. <laughs> so listen, while we wait for our guest, Mark Tapscott, to uh, call in from the Epic Times, there's an article that I came across. Um, it's someone sent me from uh, David N. Bossy. And uh, he writes the seven most infamous dates of the Biden presidency. And this is this is really cool. It's from Citizens United. And people can find it at StopBidenAgenda.com. And um, he, he writes that every, uh, every presidential election is a referendum on the incumbent, whether the incumbent likes it or not. And boy... Things have been piling up with this latest uh, report that came out from the um, the uh, attorney general's office where they're not going to prosecute Biden for all the documents that he had collected, classified documents, um, dealt with not only national but international affairs and security uh, since the 1970s. But he writes that these are the top things um, with the uh, the Biden presidency. January 20th of 2021, immediately upon taking office, Biden issued various executive actions to reverse or stop Mr. Trump's strong border security policies, including the construction of the border wall. 
Now, this is something we're going to be talking about uh, with um, Hans von Spakovsky, because there's something new that just came out uh, dealing with the federal government and what's going on in Texas. But he continues, these early moves by Mr. Biden to open the border set stage for the invasion that is taking place today. The House of Representatives is moving. So obviously this was written before the uh, articles of impeachment failed to impeach Homeland Security uh, Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas for dereliction of duties. Now, the, when they read the uh, articles of impeachment, again, this is something we're going to talk with Mark Capps about, um, they expected it to fail. And what is, should be happening is coming this next week, Tuesday, there should be another House vote. And hopefully Steve Scalise will be back on the floor, and at that point it will pass. However, it was not going to make it past the Senate. That we already know. So how much of a political play this is, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Also see what happens with the upcoming general election, uh, where we stand this year, whether or not we take back the Senate and maybe get these articles of impeachment put through anyway, even though you're only dealing with one month before they're out of office anyway. So he goes, now the next date he puts down is March 11th of 2021 when he signed the so-called American Rescue Plan into law. And he stated that the historic legislation is about rebuilding the backbone of this country and giving people in this nation, working people, middle-class folks, people who built the country, a fighting chance. Well, as it turns out, it did the exact opposite. Because, you know, we also went into the COVID pandemic at that time, too. Um, it was an irresponsible $1.9 trillion spending bill that had the opposite effect, creating inflation, which Americans are still struggling with today. Biden's reckless legislation caused our economy to overheat and made everything more expensive, from gasoline to groceries. Now, when Trump was in office before Election Day, I paid actually, in fact, $1.69 a gallon. Um, if you went to the next station, it was $1.89. But I have Gas Buddy, which gives me $0.20 cents off a gallon, so I saved an extra $0.20. Cents. But if it was here, it was $1.89. Driving past the Parkers, which is the lowest in town, it's two seventy nine. It was as high as three ninety six just a few months back. It's starting to drop, yes. But that's not because of what Biden is doing to boost the economy. Um, he goes on to say, Americans would have been far better served if Mr. Biden had simply left Mr. Trump's economic plan in place. He puts down the next date, August 30th of 2021. The withdrawal from Afghanistan is going to be one of the biggest foreign policy blunders in U.S. history that has cost American lives. In the buildup to the pullout, he misled the American people about the Taliban's strength and said that the likelihood there's going to be the Taliban overrunning everything and owning the country is highly unlikely. And we find out that the exact opposite is true. The Taliban are running everything. To paraphrase former Defense Secretary Robert Gates, he quotes, Mr. Biden has been wrong about nearly every foreign policy issue in the last 40 years. And Afghanistan is no exception. Due to Mr. Biden's incompetence, 13 U.S. service members were killed and billions of dollars in military equipment was left behind to fall into enemy hands. And we're finding that equipment is being used by our enemies uh, to attack us. And we see we do have our guest in this, and I'll put this aside for later. 
the blunders of President Biden, which are numerous. But let's bring our guest in on the air and welcome back Mark Capscott from the Epoch, as I say, Epic Times. <laughs> Good afternoon, Mark. How are you doing? Hi, Annie. How are you doing? All right. I mean, uh, just watching the TV five minutes before coming on air, <laughs> I'm going, I'm shaking my head, and this is, will this comedy show ever end? Corrine Jean-Lapierre was reading some fantastic statistic numbers saying that crime rates and homicide rates in the United States have actually dropped in 2023. Am I living in the same United States as she's living in? I tell you, um, one of the, one of the things about the um, I'm sure I didn't see that, but I'm sure she was um, citing FBI crime statistics, uniform crime statistics. Those statistics that we get from the FBI, uh, if you read the fine print, you'll see they're they're incomplete. Um, you have a lot of police departments across the country that have different definitions of what constitutes a violent crime or not. So oh, yeah. it's it's you have to be very cautious about using FBI statistics to um, to draw conclusions like that. <laughs> well, I had a laugh because you know I am retired out of the, the law enforcement, and one of the things I did uh, the last two years as I was waiting for my disability retirement because I was disabled, they put me behind the desk, and one of the things was to help put these statistics together. And NYPD right. called it Comstat. And Comstat, you are right. so right. Yes. What what do you constitute a violent crime? Well, under one administration, it could be a strong arm armor, uh, robbery. And under another in, in administration, that level of, of proof doesn't match a violent crime. So it becomes right. a number game. And then you mm-hmm. also have the individual commanders in each uh, precinct. Um, deciding what they consider to be reported and what not to include the report. It is so subjective, those numbers. There are no true numbers to this. And then when you have places like New York that has a revolving door that you turn around and violently assault a police officer, injuring them seriously, and that doesn't even require bail. That's a felony under normal circumstances, what they do. Just you know, yeah. say you went into a like a little pushing match. That wasn't a pushing yeah. match. That was a violent crime. So it, it, yeah. I, I listened to her, and I'm, I'm going, I, I'm just shaking my head. And she's doing this with a straight face, which I, I, I find hysterical. Well, you know, just just to cite one more example of what you're talking about, um, my understanding is um, Mr. Bragg has not charged the. Um, other five um, illegal immigrants that were involved in that. And if they're not charged, then I would assume they won't show up in the statistics. But everybody in the country has watched the video over and over again of them violently mm-hmm. assaulting a police officer, a couple of police officers. So, you know, yeah. there there is a saying, there are three kinds of lies. Lies, damn lies, and crime statistics. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I find it so so horrific, though, that they were not even told that they could not leave the city, much less leave the borough. So what's the yeah. first thing that several, several of them do? As soon as they walked out the door of, of the, the jail, they hop on the next bus out of town. 
They're never yep. coming back. Yep. So, of course, that crime statistic mm-hmm. won't even exist. So, I'm sorry. Yep. They're not going to show up. They're all going to disappear. And it's, it's, it's I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm shaking my head. But that's not what yeah, I wrote down for my notes to talk to you about. <laughs> it's frustrating. But it, just, it is. It is. But talk about crimes. Um, the special counsel has decided not to uh, charge uh, President uh, Biden <laughs> under the very same act that it is charging um, our <laughs> Donald Trump. And I'm shaking my head at the reasons on all of this. And I'm going, how absurd can we get that at this point, he has had classified documents that he should never have had in his possession to begin with since the 1970s. And suddenly yep. now he's a doddering old fool that would be sympathetic to the jury, so we're not going to charge him. My wife and I were um, watching some of the coverage last night, and my wife's immediate reaction was, oh, this sounds like Comey and Hillary Clinton all over again. Yeah, she did it, but we're not going to charge her. You know, here we have again, he did it, but we're not going to charge him. So there's there's clearly a double standard at work here, and um, I, it's it's interesting, Annie. I as I watched the the reactions today, uh, Senator Hawley, for example, is uh, demanding that uh, Attorney General Garland either prosecute Biden or invoke the Twenty Fifth Amendment to remove him from office because he is mentally unfit. Because of the dementia, as described by the special counsel. I I suspect that when when the Democrats were making their strategy, their plans for um, all these multiple charges against Trump, they never dreamed that they could have a situation come out of their plans that would put Biden in a position of either he's – going to be criminally charged or he's unfit for office. They probably never dreamed of that possibility. Well, as, as I do, I'm looking for my constitution, and I pulled it out of the drawer to show to my husband, and I don't think I put it back. Anyway, um, as I remember the 20, the, the, that amendment, um, it has to be invoked by the vice president, who then goes to the cabinet, and once she gets the vote from the cabinet, only then... Can he be removed right. temporarily? Temporarily. Right. And then it has to go to three, three, three quarters or two thirds. Two thirds of the House two and thirds. two thirds of the Senate. Yeah, two thirds right. of both the House and the Senate. Well, that ain't going to happen. We know that for a fact. And I don't think anyone wants to see Queen Camilla Mella Harris as president of the United States. <clears throat> so he's not going to step down. So what I'm thinking, this is my thought, I don't know what you're hearing on the grapevine, is that he'll stay in place because um, she doesn't get to become president. She gets to become acting president should she take that position. Right. Uh, but right. he'll stay in place, but he'll drop out of the campaign for one reason or another, saying, oh, I don't know, what's going on in Israel or Ukraine is too, too, taking up too, too much of my time. I can't be on the campaign trail. So I'm not doing any service to the country if I don't pay attention to these issues. So I'm, drop, I'm suspending my campaign. And then maybe someone like Gavin Newsom or Michelle Obama step in. I don't know. Am I looking at this differently? 
No, no, as a matter of fact, Annie, and I don't know whether I should be more concerned about it or you should be, but we're thinking along very similar lines. I said scary. I I didn't expect that Biden would um, would be the nominee. That that you know, sometime in the summer, probably uh, before the Democratic convention, that um, he would announce for some reason that uh, he was he was not going to be a candidate and. You know, Gavin Newsom steps right up and says, here I am. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's a lot of different ways it can go. And uh, in the absence of this White House or the special counsel's comments about Biden's um, uh, mental capacities, um, you know, I, the, the prospect of him having to withdraw from the race, I think, got strengthened immensely yesterday by this. Right. Hey, right. Right. Hey, hey, yeah, going back to um, Comey and Clinton. Uh-huh. Don't forget, he said no reasonable, <laughs> no reasonable court would charge Clinton for what she Hell. did. Can you believe that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> my my understanding then and now is when. A prosecutor has credible evidence of a crime having been committed and a charged suspect that they have to take it to trial. You know, it's not a matter of – they don't have a whole lot of discretion in the matter. If right, you've and got he lists the number evidence, of things. Do what? The number of things before he said, oh, yeah. but no reasonable court would convict her. Yeah. <laughs> I and, mean, you and just read the right that, act. Curtis, he, he qualified that with, in his judgment, no reasonable prosecutor would take it to court. So there you go. You know, uh, I was watching the press conference, and I don't know the name of the guy that was speaking, uh, answering the questions. Oh, I don't know who it was. Someone I had not seen before with a bald head, so you probably know who it is better than I do. Yeah, and one Ian of the reports. Okay, thank you. I had to say bald head, and you know it. <laughs> anyway, um, one of the questions one of the reporters asked, and I don't remember if it was Steve Ducey or not, um, about his having um, the documents uh, and whether or not – I've had the question go. The question was not asked specifically about the contents of the documents, about the fact that he had the documents. And you know, right. he was saying basically, how can you say that he wasn't aware he had these documents? And his response was, I can't answer that because you talk about classified documents and we can't talk to you about that, basically is what his answer was. And I'm shaking my head. He's not asking about the content of the documents. He's asking about the fact that the documents exist. So yeah. why couldn't he answer the question? And I'm yeah. listening to the double speak coming out of this White House and it's getting crazier and crazier. Well, Ian Sams was brought into the Biden White House a little over a year ago. Uh, he is he is known as a very adroit, um, shall we say, manipulator of words um, in the context of scandals. Uh, he is the White House Office of Counsel spokesman. So whenever a reporter has a question about, for example, the um, impeachment a Biden situation. The question goes to Ian Sams, and you may or you may not get an answer. Um, 
<laughs> so I was not surprised at all to see that he was he was up there this today in the White House answering questions on this this particular issue. Um, so they had to you have bring to watch, in the hound dog. You have to, you have to pay very close attention to what he says and to what he doesn't say. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously it was he was a little obvious because if I caught it just walking past the TV and did a double take. <laughs> Either I'm smarter than I think I am, or he was just a little bit too blatant. <laughs> oh, man. You know, talk about being blatant. We also have this impeachment effort on Mayorkas. And I didn't think it was going to go anywhere. Uh, but we do have possibly a chance of a new vote coming up um, next week on Tuesday, as I understand it. But for right. Republican. Um, voted no on it. Three originally, uh, which was Ken Buck, McClintock, and Gallagher. And then mm-hmm. last minute, there was a lot of conversation behind the scenes, and suddenly more goes from supporting the impeachment to voting against it. Now, that's a tactical move, wasn't it? Yes. I, I don't exactly understand the specifics of the of the parliamentary procedure that they were acting on, but when you have a privilege motion that comes to the floor like an impeachment resolution, um, if if a member of the leadership changes their vote, then that preserves the opportunity to bring it back for reconsideration. And the reason they did that is because um, the House Majority Leader, Steve Scalise, was not in the chamber. He's been actually absent for several weeks. He's undergoing treatment for blood cancer, uh, but he is supposed to be back next week. And the calculation apparently is that uh, if he is back, they can pull this thing out by one vote. Um, so I, I won't be surprised if they if they do bring it back. No, we're expecting it to come back. I am at least. But once they have the articles of impeachment. It's not going to head anywhere towards the Senate. The Senate's not going to do anything, so it's going to be dead in the water anyway, right? Well, I don't know if the Senate can simply ignore it or if they do have to go through the motions of a trial. Uh, I think they do have to go through the at least the motions of a trial. But the vote, I mean, you know what the vote will be. It will not be to convict. That yeah. said... If the House does impeach next week, um, then Mayorkas will have the distinction, um, quote-unquote, of being only the second presidential cabinet appointee ever to be impeached. Uh, He'll still be in office, but he will then have been impeached. Wow. Sometimes it's more show than for doing anything. So, you know, once he's been impeached, he's he's still there doing border security or lack of security. Nothing changes. Again, is this something that's useless or is it something to make a point? And what is the point that's trying to be made? That's what I'm trying to understand. Yeah, yes and yes. And that is exactly the debate (laughs) that has been going on within the House Republican Caucus for Uh, low these many weeks because you've got folks on one hand saying, you know, Mayorkas is just doing what his boss is telling him to do. So the real guy that should be impeached is Biden. So if we impeach Mayorkas, that's a distraction from the main show. 
On the other hand, um, mm-hmm. uh, Mark Green, the Homeland Security Committee chairman, uh, and the other folks that uh, were behind him in the impeachment effort were all making the point that, look, he, he's the appointee and he may be doing the orders of Biden, but it's his name on the, the orders that say, uh, for example, you don't arrest an illegal who uh, comes across the border, you run the check on him, uh, and you find that he has or she has uh, a criminal conviction back in their home country. Well, federal law at present requires that individual be deported. They cannot stay in the country, but Mayorkas issued a directive to the border uh, agents telling them you, you can't do that. You've got to let them come in. So the point that Green makes is you can't let that go. You have to do something in response to that, or otherwise, what's the point of even having the law in the first place? Mm-hmm. Well, then it's basically to show a little cautionary flag to anyone else who might to, wants to follow the same path as Mayorkas. That's the only way I can see it. But then yeah. again, it's a, a bull with no horns. <laughs> so right. I don't know. Um, But we're talking about the border security, and the Senate bill failed. It was DOA. Um, Now, unfortunately, you and I did not get to meet back in November when I was in D.C. lobbying for the House bill, H.R. 2. I know. I missed that. (laughs) Sorry. Next time. (laughs) Next time. Um, But Langford and McConnell hobbled this bill together with the Democrats, and it was a, a whole disaster. A complete disaster. And you wrote about it um, on the Epoch Times um, just a couple of days ago, or was this? Yeah. Was it just yesterday? Oh yeah, just yesterday. They, God. They, I can't keep track of well, the days. Well, and also <laughs> the day before yesterday, and and several days before that, uh, with you know, bring walk-ups we call them to the to the actual vote. I I, I have to tell you, Annie. Um, I've had a number of conversations with Senator Lankford. Uh, He's from my home state of Oklahoma. He is the second most conservative guy in the Senate. Um, If you uh, believe the American Conservative Union's voting records, he is an extremely intelligent guy. um, And he's probably the last guy in the Republican conference of the Senate today that I would have expected to um, come up with this kind of a proposal. Um, I, you know, I've been covering Congress for decades, and I have never seen a proposal come up before Congress where you had such totally opposite readings by the opponents and the proponents of the same bill. I mean, it, 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 it's they're reading the same text but they come to totally opposite conclusions. Lankford says his proposal, the compromise with, with Murphy and Cinema, for example, would end catch and release. But Senator Mike Lee, who was the main guy um, leading the opposition, pointed to the same passages and said, look, you've got one sentence in there that gives the president the authority to suspend that requirement. And therefore, what that means is catch and release will continue to be the policy of the federal government because President Biden will say so. 
So they have completely opposite conclusions about the same text. Um, it's frankly, it's not surprising that that it lost. Yeah, it it, it did nothing with visa overstays. It did nothing nope. in in uh, curtailing the NGOs and funds that go to them or the the policies they put in place. There are so many things. And oh, by the way, you're allowed five thousand per day to come across the border. And we had uh, Louis Reese from Heritage on last week, and we were talking about yeah. this bill before the Senate poo pooed it. Thankfully. Um, Thankfully. But it comes down to a total of um, something like one point. Someone's got a speaker on. Speaker on. I I hear my voice coming back. I at hear me. my voice coming back at me. Hmm. Something um, changed here. Something changed here. I think I think my <laughs> call just went over to Wi-Fi. That might be it. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I, I hate to say it, Annie, but I'm five minutes overtime anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, Mark, All right. you got to run. Well, Mark, and, you got to run. And, We'll continue this conversation next time. Okay, All right, thank Mark. you, Mark. God All bless. right, thank you, Mark. God bless. Bye bye. All right, that that was really weird. That was really really yeah, weird. In the middle thing it is, yeah. So I was saying uh, to Mark that this Senate bill would have allowed up to 1.8 million more illegal aliens in than what are coming in at this rate already. Um, I, I think it was under the Obama administration, um, Department of Homeland Security said that if they had up to 1,000 a day coming across the border, they were overwhelmed and they couldn't handle the capacity. So if they couldn't handle the capacity with the technology they had back then at 1,000, think about what we have now with this way open border. No one has a background check. Everyone's just being waved through at 5,000 a day. And are we going to see, my question would be, would have been, are we going to see a massive rush on the border before this November election? And I think we will. I think we're going to see a massive influx. The only thing that's holding it back at this point is Texas. And again, we're going to be talking about this with um, our next guest who's going to be calling in, or you're going to be calling him in about five minutes, uh, from Heritage Foundation, Hans Vostokowski, because there is a war between the federal government and the Texas government at this point. Plus, 25 states have vowed to send help to the border to help Texas. So Texas is starting to stem the flow. Yeah, what I believe... Even if they do flood the United States before um, the elections, should Trump get get back into office, I really believe he's going to do what he says, and that's to um, be a dictator for one day (laughs) for those who are running with this dictator thing. And um, he's going to um, send all these people back to Mexico. I don't care how many... That, that came across the border. I think he really is going to make a broad effort to um, to um, get these people out of the United States. So yeah, they can come if they want well, to, but I don't think they're going to be here long. Well, I, I do another show um, 
with uh, Ricky Tonkins on Wednesday. It's called Moms Across America, uh, which is up on Dan Perkins Media. And uh, this is one of the things that Dan Perkins and I were talking about. You know, what do you do with the illegals that are already here? And how do you handle it? And I said the smartest thing to do is to take down the barriers between local law enforcement, the local municipalities, and open it up. Take down those, those borders that prevent cooperation between the federal agencies, ICE and Department of Homeland Security, and local municipality law enforcement. Allow them to vet the people that they take into custody. I'm not talking about people that are victims of crimes or people being transported to the hospital. If they didn't commit a crime, then you really shouldn't be doing a background check on them. If you're doing a crime and you do a background check and you determine at that point that this person has questionable ID or you can and know for a fact that they are an illegal alien or if they are a resident on a green card and they committed a felony that is deportable, I should be notified. A retainer or detainer should be placed upon the individual. Let ICE do the investigation and Department of Homeland Security or whoever else and let them deport the person. But let the legal proceedings go through and I'll open the barriers that prevent local law enforcement from cooperating with the federal government in taking care of this situation. You're going to see self-deportation of illegal aliens at its peak if you allow that. And furthermore, penalize any municipality that will not cooperate with the federal government when it deals with illegal aliens. By withholding funds or some other sort of um, tariff, I don't know what you would call it, but you know, withhold any additional funds to that agency. So if they need new equipment or something like that, and they depending upon federal funds, you'll get the funds if you make an agreement to no longer be a sanctuary city. That's, well, that's one know, way to do it. What frustrates a, a lot of Americans like myself, we have laws on the books, and we got these politicians that take an oath. Um, to uphold and defend the Constitution and those things that go along with that. And then when they get into office, they don't do that, yet we don't hold them accountable. And that just, just wow. drives us crazy, you know. Um, just like with Biden's on, it's, it's against the law. We, we have protocols to allow for people to come into this country, and it's not just coming across the border. But nobody seems to have a backbone to to make them accountable. So no. we, we have to get people in there that are brave, courageous, and are willing to stand up. And I, I think that's why they hate Trump so much, because he's not afraid to mm-hmm. take them on. Well, well, here we have the problem with that Senate bill. The big problem is, is the first thing we heard out of Chuck Schumer and a bunch of other those progressives out the senators out there, first words out of their mouth when the bill failed was the Republicans don't want to secure the borders. See that? They would not, would not let us pass this bill. Well, the Republicans do want to secure the border, and that's why we would not let this bill pass. So, like, this bill is like you read it one way and it says one thing if you're a Democrat. You read it another way, it says a different thing if you're a Republican or a conservative. But if you look at the actual wording, should this bill have passed, it can be twisted and used 
to our detriment. And I am glad that it didn't, but it's not over yet. And they're going to be on the campaign trail, and every last one of them is going to say, oh, look at us, look at us. We can't get anything done because the Republicans are stopping us. And I think we got our guest here on the line, if my computer's going to behave properly. I want to welcome from Heritage Foundation our friend Hans von Spakowski. Good afternoon, Hans. Matter of fact, my co-host uh, is trying I'm to pull you on a different line. Hey, uh, good afternoon. How are you doing? Okay. Um, I'm seeing that it's two phone numbers that both come back to you, so I think my co-host is trying to call you on one line while you're talking with me. <laughs> so that's okay. It's all the more the merrier. Um, and we're talking about uh, right now the Senate bill uh, that failed and exactly what uh, the senators said as soon as the bill failed. Chuck Schumer was out there and a bunch of the other progressives. Look at the nasty Republicans. They wouldn't let this bill pass. But rightly so. There were so many flaws in this bill. Well, that is absolutely correct. Um, this, this was a bill intended to try to normalize the, in, uh, the influx, huge influx of illegal aliens coming across the border. I mean, there are so many things wrong with it, and I, I can't really tell you. Look, I can't go through and list them all, but, but I'll give you just one example. Uh, actually, I'll give you two examples. The first is, look, one of the, one of the biggest problems um, that we have is fraudulent asylum claims. Um, mm-hmm. Illegal aliens coming in these days will almost immediately claim asylum. You know, we, we have a law that, that if you are being persecuted for political and other reasons in your home country, you can claim asylum. If you claim asylum under the law, while your, your asylum claim is being investigated, uh, you are allowed to stay in the country. Well, that is such an easy way to get around what ought to normally happen to you, which is you're immediately <laughs> deported and sent out of the country when you cross the line illegally, that uh, DHS has issued several reports on this. Over 90% of asylum claims turn out to be fraudulent. Well, uh, this bill would say, oh, anyone who claims asylum not only gets to stay in the country, they are immediately issued a work permit. So they'll have the right mm-hmm. to legally get a job and work in the U.S. Can you think of a bigger incentive for, uh, for illegal aliens to, to claim asylum when you give them a work permit in addition to allowing them to legally stay in the country? That, that's, a, that's a foolish change. Um, the other one that makes no sense is... Uh, it would basically say it's okay for up to 5,000 illegal aliens to cross the border every single day. After that, if the president wants to shut down the border, he can do that. Well, Joe Biden was out there saying, oh, I need this provision so I can shut down the border. And I promise you, the day I sign this bill, if it comes to my desk, I will shut down the border. That is a con game. Why? Because he doesn't need any new law 
to be able to shut down the border. Um, re- remember the uh, remember the travel orders that Donald Trump uh, issued that caused the left to get so mad. Remember he issued an order shutting down the border and saying that aliens from a certain set of countries, mostly terrorist nations, would not be allowed in the U.S., period. And what happened? All the political allies of Joe Biden went to court and sued President Trump, saying, you, the president, don't have the authority to shut the border to these aliens. And what happened? That case went to the U.S. Supreme Court. And in 2018, in uh, Trump versus Hawaii, the U.S. Supreme Court said, under current immigration law, the president has the power to shut the border, to close the border to all aliens or any group of aliens. So the point is, Joe Biden today has the ability to shut down the border, and he's not doing it. So anybody who thinks that if he got this bill, that he wants that died in the Senate, thank goodness, he would suddenly close the border and control the, this huge flow of illegal. That, that's just not going to happen. No, no, it's not. And there's, there's so much more in there. Um, but one of the things in there is you know, we now have a clash between the federal agencies and those in Texas, the brown right. shirts and the green shirts. And I, we had uh, Lewis, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Lori on here uh, last week, and we were talking about this. Uh, but they're complaining about the barbed wire being cut by the federal agencies. Right. However, the Supreme Court, when they made their ruling, did not prohibit uh, Abbott from continuing to defend the border. And everyone was saying, well, what SCOTUS said is that we can cut the barbed wire, but technically... You can't because now you're just, you're destroying the plaintiff's property. So, well, no, in a way, well, the court. Well, and actually, um, there was an injunction in place by the Fifth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals in which uh, the court had had issued an injunction against the Biden administration, telling them you cannot cut or tear down the barbed wire that Texas has put up. What the, the Biden administration appealed that, emergency appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. The U.S. Supreme Court issued a two-sentence order. So this was not on the merits. The merits of the, the case are not yet before the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court simply said, while this case is on appeal, there will be no injunction in place. So the situation is, is a little bit of a bizarre one. Um, there's no order preventing Texas from continuing to put up barbed wire, but there's also nothing to prevent the Biden administration from tearing it down or cutting holes in it. Um, so it's a question of, well, who's, who can be faster? <laughs> Texas, Texas putting up the wire, the Biden administration going in and trying to take it down. What has happened actually is, the Biden administration has quit trying to take down the barbed wire. And I think it's because we're in an election year. And the public reaction to what they were doing has been so bad, and they are so fearful about Biden's reelection efforts that they have stopped 
trying to tear down the barbed wire. And the effect, the effect has been that um, Eagle Pass, which is where Texas put up about 30 miles of this concertina wire, used to be one of the most heavily crossed boundaries of the U.S.-Mexican border along the entire line. And the crossings there have dropped almost to nothing. That shows you how effective what Texas has done is. Well, you know, I was reading an article, um, one of the uh, uh, ICE agents, whatever, uh, Border Patrol agents, was saying that even though they're forced to accept them coming across the border, when they see Texas guys on the border, they'll go several miles up a river, and either throw a child or a father uh, carrying a child, of course, push them. So now they're busy trying to rescue the child while five miles down they're doing their crossing. So it, we need to have both parties working together, and we're not seeing that for quite a while. Um, meanwhile, if you would you mind taking a, a question from one of our callers? This is one of our good listeners, so I know it's not a troll. Would you mind taking questions? <laughs> sure, happy to take one. All right. We want to welcome Panky back to the show. He hasn't been with us for a while. We have Hans von Spakowski with us as our guest from Heritage Foundation. You have a quick question for him. Well, the the question is, is that Texas is a sovereign state and has got a right to protect its borders. Federal government should not be entering in the states when the states say that you can't come in. We've seen those same conditions there as Katrina. When Bush tried to take FEMA into Louisiana and the governor had not approved of him. Problem is that the federal government, no matter who's in power or the party or concern, they are completely run away and they need to be brought back into control, which the states have the power to do, but they won't do it. So your question is? Well, well, the the one thing I will say about that is that – it's actually, it's not true that it doesn't matter who's in power. And the reason for that is that look what happened during the Trump administration. The president, when he came in, actually started enforcing federal immigration law. And if you look at the numbers, right, the number of illegal crossings, they started falling dramatically, going down during the Trump administration. And why was that? Well, uh, first of all, they ended the catch-and-release policy. Uh, they started building a wall, a barrier, just like Texas is doing now to keep people from coming across. They put in a remain-in-Mexico policy. What that said was that if you're actually going to claim asylum, we're not going to simply release you into the United States while we look at your asylum claim. You have to stay in Mexico while we investigate your asylum claim, all of those kind of measures and, and a series of others actually, like I said, started uh, greatly reducing the number of illegal aliens uh, coming into the country. On his first day in office, Joe Biden canceled every single executive order that Trump had issued to enforce the border terminated all of the directives and memos of guidance over the Department of Homeland Security. And what happened? 
huge numbers of illegal aliens started coming in so that in the last uh, three years, we've had more illegal aliens cross the border than in any time that we have ever been recording the numbers and vastly more, several times more than entered during the Trump administration. So it actually does make a difference who's in power uh, in Washington and in the White House. It, it, it does. If, if these policies and the laws are in place and they are not invoked and used properly, but we have anarchy, which is what the Biden administration is inviting with this untold. Right. And it could be estimated anywhere from 9 million to 17 million illegal aliens in the United States because we don't know how many gotaways are there. So, you know, yeah, and the, listen, the administration well, could be a, saying 5 million and it could be 17 million. What is it? Well, no, no, listen. When the Biden administration came into office, the estimate was that there were anywhere from 10 to 12 million illegal aliens in the country. The estimate right now is that over the past three and a half years, there have been over 8 million illegal aliens who come in and at least 2 million gotaways. Gotaways are what they refer to as those who were never even stopped by the Border Patrol. So in other words, he has doubled, Joe Biden, through his policies, has doubled at least the number of illegal aliens in the country in just three and a half years. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And uh, we were discussing these uh, judges, the, the uh, immigration judges. Well, it's fine you appoint all these judges, but most of them don't even have a law clerk or a staff in which to process the case cases. So the backlog is going to remain there, and it's no longer just two or three years. It's beyond 10 years. Right. So you can right. bring a child in as an infant, and by the time they're graduating high school, maybe the case might get to court. Maybe. <laughs> so what's the point? Well, and in fact, um, a huge percentage of the individuals who come across, the aliens who come across, never actually show up for their court, their immigration court hearings. Why, why would they? They're here illegally. They don't actually have any grounds for being in the country. So uh, the vast majority of them simply don't show up. They disappear into the vast anonymity of, of what is a you know, very large uh, country. And that's another reason why the catch and release policy, which Trump ended, and which Joe Biden put back in place was such a major factor in the huge growth of illegal aliens uh, coming into the country because they know they can get across the border, they'll be caught, processed, and said, uh, you'll have a hearing date in an immigration court uh, a year from now, uh, goodbye, and they release them into the country. Well, why would they ever show, even show up for their immigration hearing? No point to it. No, there is no point. And um, I had pulled off a bunch of articles just before coming on air, and I've got to take them off my printer. Because <laughs> these are things I wanted to talk to you about, and uh, I completely forgot about them. Um, there's, a, there's a lawsuit that's going on, and I thought I'd ask you because, you know, you're my go-to law guy. And this recently came out. Uh, they ruled against the Biden administration in their efforts to prevent 
consumer lawsuits against federal agencies. And I thought this was really, really interesting. What they were saying is that the Fair Credit Reporting Act um, that lets consumers sue creditors for failing to fix their credit report. Um, the lawsuit was stemming from a, a Pennsylvania man whose credit score was damaged when the Department of Agriculture wrongly stated his credit re- uh, loans were overdue. So he changed his credit report. He tried to get it fixed through the, you know, he tried to get it all done. But because he was dealing with a federal agency that refused to help him, he was damaged. So he was told he can't sue the federal government. And yet the Supreme Court has says, yes, you can sue the federal government. Simply because the federal government doesn't mean you can't sue them, any agency. So I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking about all the people that lost their jobs because they refused to get the, the jab based upon federal uh, regulations. And I'm wondering, does this open a floodgate now of lawsuits against the federal government that have been never processed before? That's my question to you. Does this this one? I don't know if you know the court case I'm talking about. Well, I I haven't read the decision in general. I saw the the news headlines about it. But look, there's been a whole series of just separate lawsuits dealing with that issue alone. The the resistance to getting COVID vaccinations. And whether or not the federal government had the authority to do that, including very specifically in the military. And um, I'm not sure that decision has that much to do with that. But I will tell you that one of the – look, there's there's two very big cases before the U.S. Supreme Court right now. And oral arguments have already been held, and those cases are over um, what's called the Chevron Doctrine. This is mm-hmm. based on this yeah. really terrible decision by the Supreme Court quite a long time ago. They basically said, well, when there's any doubt if a federal agency is acting within its legal authority, um, rather than us, the courts, <laughs> determining that, uh, we're just going to uh, defer to the f- federal agencies. That is what gives these federal agencies so much, in fact, way too much power. And I can tell you, if, as we hope, the Supreme Court throws out the Chevron doctrine and says, you know, when a federal agency is doing something and they're sued over it, we, the courts, are going to f- determine, not the agency, whether or not they've acted within the scope of their power. Uh, that would be a way of cutting back the power of of federal agencies on all of the issues that you're talking about. And yeah, because I'm familiar with the the uh, Chevron doctrine. It's the fox being put in charge of the hen house. Really yeah, brilliant no, doctrine. that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's exactly right. Because what, so what I, I have federal agency? Following that, what federal agency is ever going to say? Oh, we're, we don't have the power to do that. No bureaucrat is ever going to say that. Well, this was Reginald Kurtz uh, was the name of the guy who went was suing the USDA. So it, uh, I found this interesting because I was following the case with the Chevron Doctrine and seeing this ruling that just came out. I'm thinking, wow, does this finally uh, crush the policy that they have of 
U.S. having sovereign immunity against lawsuits. And I think this opens up a huge door. Because if I'm looking at this, right, ruling, it, will the Chevron Doctrine ruling now follow this path? I uh, I certainly hope so. <laughs> I, I hope so because that that is long that is long overdue. Yeah, I, I just found it interesting because now um, under HR two, had it passed, it gave the state attorney generals the right to sue the federal government if they do not enforce immigration law. And that surprisingly was missing from the Senate bill, wasn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I have to tell because... you. Well, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Please. No, go well, ahead. I was please. just going to say that, it, that. Look, that's missing because there's no way. There's no way that Joe Biden would side, and there's no way that Democrats would agree to give the state more power or authority to enforce federal immigration laws because they don't want them enforced. I mean, that's, that's the whole problem. That is what is causing all of these issues with this open border is you have one side of the political aisle, Democrats, who do not want to uh, enforce our immigration laws. And here we are, stuck in the middle. We want to change the subject right. a little bit because we now have the Colorado case in the Supreme Court with Trump being kicked off the right. ballot. And it looks like everything is going uh, to the way that you know we want it. And I was surprised um, that the, the, new, uh, the new judge, uh, I can never Brown pronounce Jackson. her first name. Brown judge. Yeah. Yeah, that's the easy way of doing it. Uh, I was surprised when she made a, a very good question and point. And I'm saying, holy cow, if we got liberals on the Supreme Court seeing the problem that we're complaining about with Colorado unanimously, just one individual deciding that he's not going to be on the ballot, maybe we have hope with the Supreme Court. I was really surprised oh, I, on the question. I, I agree. No, no, I agree. And in fact, Look, I listened, I listened to the arguments as they were happening in the court. We had about two hours of arguments by uh, the, the different sides. And um, all the justices were asking some very tough, very hard questions of the attorney, uh, a guy named Jason Murray, who was representing the voters in Colorado who wanted Trump knocked off of, of the ballot. And that included the liberal justices. I mean – that also included, for example, Justice Kagan, who was uh, obviously uh, expressed her concern over the idea that one state could make a decision like this, taking somebody off the ballot, that could uh, basically be the key in the outcome of a national presidential election, and it would give individual states you know, too much power to control uh, what happens in, in that presidential race. So I, I think actually there's a very good chance that we may get uh, a nine to zero decision. Uh, maybe it'll be seven to two. Maybe the liberals will chicken out <laughs> at the last moment. Uh, <laughs> but, but I would be astounded if Trump uh, did not win particular case. Well, there's one other thing that I came across dealing with the elections. 
that Pennsylvania is 24 lawmakers are suing Biden over the election laws where he had certain regulations that altered how the elections were held. And I found that very interesting, wondering if they decide that the 2020 election was or the the following elections once Biden was in office were altered because of his regulations or orders. How many elections will be turned over and will this go to the Supreme Court? Well, and I, I have to admit, I'm I'm not familiar with the lawsuit you're talking about, so I I don't think I can ah, really I comment you. on it because I I haven't <laughs> I, I haven't on seen one. that. <laughs> uh, look, normally I know about almost every election case that's going on, but as you know, it's been it's been pretty busy, especially with these this <laughs> huge fight in the Supreme Court yesterday, just yesterday over the 14th Amendment and the attempts to, to pull Trump off of the ballot. By the way, I actually went up to the Supreme Court, and it was a zoo up there. The, oh, really? The streets, the streets outside of the court, many of them were blocked off. I saw more cops and law enforcement than I think I've ever seen at the Supreme Court, and uh, huge numbers of protesters everywhere uh, carrying signs, banners, with painted faces, I mean, it was it was uh, quite something. Ah, I wish you would have taken some pictures and sent them to me. I would have loved to see that. And then you wonder where all this law enforcement was on January sixth, right? <laughs> we have it. Yes. Right. <laughs> well, just to let you know, uh, the group of twenty-four Republican legislatures uh, in Pennsylvania filed a federal complaint against President Joe Biden, Governor Josh Shapiro and representatives of the Pennsylvania Department of State saying that they usurped the authority of the legislator by changing voter registration and election rules. Interesting. Very interesting. Yep. I'll have to, I will have to pull that and take a look at it. <laughs> well, it, it has been so fu- so much fun. We've only got about five minutes left to the show, and uh, I always have a great time uh, speaking with you, and I'm surprised I finally stumped you on something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm patting myself on the back, but uh, it, it, it is a crazy, crazy world out there. And now we're looking at a possible attempt to remove President Biden because of his mental capacity that just came out. And I was discussing this with Mark Tapscott just before you came on and whether or not they will actually pull him down and have Queen Camilla Mella as president, acting president. And all the steps that it has to go through, it's it's going to be a very interesting next couple of months, I think. Yeah, yeah, it certainly it certainly will be. This is probably going to be one of the most um, controversial presidential election years we've ever had. Well, I, I had my prediction that they will not Queen Camilla Mello will not go to the cabinet asking for his removal, and then send it over to the House and the Senate to vote on. Um, I don't think that is going to happen. I'm predicting what's going to happen is he's going to pull himself out of the election race, saying he's just going to suspend it, and maybe someone else will step in his place, like Gruesome Newsom in California or um, Michelle Obama. Uh, I'm wondering if that's the plan the Democrats are looking at now, since he faces possible removal by the 24th Amendment. Uh, 
I don't know. We're just going to have to wait and see because um, everybody is speculating on what may happen, and we don't really know. Yeah, it's interesting because the 24th Amendment has never been invoked, and whether or not it will be at this point, I'm going to toss a coin up in the air, but I'm thinking it's going to come up heads and he's going to stay. But anyway, Hans, it has always been fun having you here. Uh, I enjoyed always speaking with you, and you know you're always welcome back on. Well, I appreciate that, and uh, have a nice weekend. You too. Enjoy. Take care. Hans von Spakovsky, check them out at heritage.org. And they also have a whole section over on Heritage where you can follow what Hans is doing about election <clears throat> interfering and corruption. Uh, they're doing a great job over there. That Not only that, he's also working on the immigration issues and so much more. They do such good work over at uh, heritage.org. Check it out. And also check out the Epoch Time at theepochtime.com. Curtis, we're at the end of the show here. Um, I don't know who I have lined up for next week. I didn't check the calendar before I came on air. But, guys, uh, check out now that we're also going to be up on yournews.com. They just picked us up um, just yesterday, and already my stuff is getting hits. So check out yournews.com also, as well as go to our website, southernsense.net. And I got to say, that's all I got for now, Curtis. I'm losing my voice. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do have someone that's interested in coming on, but I'll talk to you about him off air. He's a candidate. Oh, okay. That sounds great. So, that sounds great. Hopefully we get him well, on. Well, we got – well, South Carolina is going to be in the news because we got a primary coming up on February 24th. And open uh, – uh, early voting is starting next week on the 12th. So it's going to be crazy here. <laughs> Nikki Haley will be all over yeah. the place. Yeah, right. we, didn't, we didn't even get to talk about Nikki Haley in Nevada. <laughs> Coming in second place to um, any other. <laughs> <laughs> to oh none of God. the above. None of the above. None of the and above. She actually okay. lost the, yeah, and she also lost the Nevada caucus yesterday, and Trump got that. And the U.S. Virgin Islands, she lost over there, where I think it's something like, was it 85%? Said for Trump and not Nikki Haley. That's it. when the Virgin, wow. U.S. Virgin Islands. Holy cow! She's consistent. So leave you guys. She's on a roll. <laughs> that she is. Well, we got like about a minute and a half. See, I just said that minute and a half left. So I leave you with the start of Gary Pecorella, Save America. So we'll be back next week, same time, same station. Good night and God bless. If this will start playing. There we go.
Oh. Uh-huh. 